Amen. So Acts chapter 15, we're picking up where we left off. We uh, Two weeks ago, before we went on vacation, we uh, went through Acts chapter 14, and now we're picking up in Acts chapter 15. Now, a little bit of a recap. Uh, where we're going to pick up, we're actually in uh, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch, but uh, in 14, uh, and Paul and Barnabas were used by the Lord to heal a paralytic, a, paralytic, a man that was born uh, without the ability to uh, use his legs and uh, and was never able to walk. And they uh, were able to heal him. Paul, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, healed him. And the people of uh, Lystra had um, uh, believed that he was Zeus. And uh, sorry that uh, Barnabas was Zeus and that Paul was Hermes, and uh, they wanted to worship them. They wanted to actually sacrifice to them, and they were bringing things out. And Paul and, and Barnabas were barely able to stop them uh, from worshiping them and uh, from sacrificing to them and, and uh, keeping them from uh, committing idolatry uh, toward them. And uh, they uh, were able to stop them, and and then. Those who were in opposition to the gospel came and stirred up the crowd. So this crowd that was able, that was wanting to worship them and wanting to sacrifice to them, was now being stirred up by their opposition and wanted to kill them. And uh, they end up stoning Paul and supposing him to be dead. They drag him out of the city, right? And they they drag him out. And the apostles' response was to go pray. And as they prayed. Paul stood up and he walked right back into the city, which is uh, an amazing thing in and of itself. He was restored, and uh, then they uh, they departed and uh, went on their way, uh, preaching in other cities. So what we saw as a result of them continuing, because, I mean, if you're going to stop uh, ministry, nobody's going to blame you at that point. Hey, you just got stoned, and everybody thought you were dead and everything. Take a break, right? But they just continued ministering. And the result of their continued ministry was salvation, people being strengthened. And then as they're being strengthened, they start appointing leaders. And uh, then they departed and went to uh, Antioch. So that's where we pick up here. And this chapter we're about to read has an incredible effect on the church, and it has throughout the ages, and it still does today. Because what it does is it tells uh, the Gentile Christians that we don't have to keep the Mosaic law. There's no, re no requirement for that. Uh, should, should we look at it and learn from it? Absolutely. But for salvation, uh, we don't have to fulfill uh, the Mosaic law. So we'll get into this uh, in depth as we, as we study today. A few minutes behind starting, so I'll do my best to get us uh, done at uh, 1.30. Uh, just kidding. Uh, at uh, whatever time, it would, it would be 11.30. So uh, verse 1 says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you will not be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So uh, what we see here is that men from Judea came down, Jewish converts, and uh, they were preaching salvation uh, that was dependent upon uh, circumcision of the flesh. Now, that circumcision uh, would not be uh, a, a secret to anybody in those cultures or anything. It, was, uh, it wasn't just the Jewish culture that, that uh, used circumcision as a practice. But uh, what they were doing is they were coming down and saying that uh, these people that were coming to Christ, Gentiles, would need to become Jews 
to also uh, become Christians is, is really what they're saying to them. So the sign of the Abrahamic covenant uh, for thousands of, of years is what they're saying that needs to happen here. So they're at a crossroads, and uh, some were teaching uh, that new Christians must also adhere to the Old Testament Mosaic law to be saved. So they were teaching the brethren, it says. So uh, when they would get together, what we would consider a Bible study, they were teaching this and. Uh, Paul and, and Barnabas uh, are, are having none of it. They stood firm against this teaching. And it says that there was no small dissension, which means division or dispute. So this is a, a theological dispute uh, ends up breaking out here. Now, remember, Paul, Paul is uh, is a self-proclaimed Pharisee of Pharisees. He said he was of the stock of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day. You know, if there's a guy that could come and preach that, Paul would have been it. Uh, you know, a religious leader uh, in Judaism. And uh, so as a Jewish religious leader that was rejecting that and, say, and saying, wait a minute, you can't come here and, and put this on. So they're having this great dissension, this, this division and this dispute that's happening. And Paul is standing in direct opposition to this. You know, he had a remarkable change in his life from the law to grace. And uh, he didn't want this to continue. So Paul and Barnabas were teaching salvation uh, by grace through faith in Christ alone. If you want to learn more about that, go check out Ephesians chapter 2, and you can dive right into it and uh, see where Paul was telling that to the church at Ephesus. So Paul understood the, the demands of the law, and he knew that, that ultimately circumcision was supposed to be something, it, it was a picture of what was supposed to happen in the heart. The circumcision of the heart was more important than somebody just taking on a, a physical thing saying, hey, I checked that box. Paul understood that. He wrote to the Romans in chapter 2 of uh, Romans. He says in verses 28 and 29, says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from God. That was now we understand more of of the Holy Spirit ministering to Paul and speaking to Paul and what circumcision really meant. The the importance would be that that cutting out of sin in our hearts that we wouldn't want that sin to remain in our hearts. That was the symbol of circumcision. So Paul understood that and he had experienced grace. He had seen Gentile believers coming to uh, faith through the gospel preached and he saw. The, the, the burdens lifted in their lives and uh, lives transformed by the gospel. And he, so he's getting to the point where it says, you know, no small dispute, dissension and dispute. So this wasn't like, hey, I, I kind of want to peacefully ar argue with you. They're getting a little heated here. This is an important thing. And Paul and Barnabas are going, absolutely not. So very in a very wise decision, they say, wait a minute. Let's go talk to uh, the, the, the leaders in Jerusalem. So they, they come to this decision. But these people are very near and dear to Paul's heart and, 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 and Barnabas's heart, and they want to protect them as any good shepherd would, right? These people heard the gospel, and they were growing in a relationship with the Lord, and now here come along these guys saying, wait a minute, now you have to do this and this. So there's this, this great uh, dissension, the division that is happening here, and, and when they find out they can't resolve the issue themselves very wisely, uh, they, they uh, seek other counsel. Uh, so that they can uh, together come to um, a resolution. And what we'll see is this is the Holy Spirit uh, moving, obviously. But verse 3 says, 
So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through uh, Phoenicia and Samaria, dis uh, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. So along their way to Jerusalem, they're passing through, they're sharing what God was doing uh, amongst the Gentiles. And they told the believers that souls were being uh, saved and lives are being changed. And I love the response there, that there was great joy for somebody else, right? Especially in our culture, this culture today is me, I, my. Uh, and I'm not just saying the youth. Uh, I'm talking about our culture. The American culture is very much me, I, me, I, right? Is whatever fulfills me is what I'm going to focus on. And that's what's pounded down throats in commercials and uh, everything that's going on around us is driving us to fulfill our own desires and everything. It's a great thing here to hear that these guys had nothing to gain uh, other than just being blessed to know that people were coming to faith and, and, and becoming Christians. And, you know, we should celebrate salvation more than anything else. Like I, I said here uh, this morning, if, if, if you haven't uh, accepted the Lord and, and you need to and you want to after service, come up and talk to me. You know, you're not going to bug me at all. Uh, you know, find somebody that was maybe up here uh, uh, or, or one of the ladies that greeted you or whatever it is, and, and, and we'll talk to you. Because the greatest thing is uh, in this life is to have a relationship with Christ, to be restored, to be forgiven of our sins, and, and to walk with him. You know, the uh, when we see in the scripture when Jesus was describing the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep, uh, he said in Luke chapter 15, verses 7 and verse 10, after sharing those two parables, at the end of each one, verse 7 says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And then after uh, sharing the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus said in verse 10 of uh, Luke 15, likewise I say to you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One person changing uh, their, their course from hell uh, and eternity without God, without hope, to eternal life in Christ. That's the, and, and that we know there's a party in heaven when people are, are coming to salvation. So these people hear of salvation and there's great joy caused in their heart. Verse 4. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And when... There had been much dispute. Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So when uh, this group gets to Jerusalem and they're sharing what's happening here, 
uh, everybody's hearing what's going on, and they're told all that God's, God was doing. And uh, then the believers that were of the Pharisees rose up and said that the new believers needed to be circumcised, that they uh, needed to keep the law of Moses. Now, Acts chapter 15 is what's called the Jerusalem Council. That's what it's known as. So this is what's happening here. There, there is now a conference that's happening. And they're going to uh, hammer out by the power of the Holy Spirit how the church is to move forward from here on. This is a very important uh, circumstance that's that's unfolding in front of us this morning as we read. We read here. So the two things that they're trying to hammer out is: Do new believers need to become Jews first, and do they need to keep the law of Moses? Those two things. They need to they need to get to the bottom of these two things. Do they need to uh, circumcise themselves and uh, and then follow the law of Moses or not? That's that's where the division is coming. So so it's quite a big thing. Now understand this is has been in their culture for thousands of years. So it, it, sometimes old old habits die hard, right? So, so when these guys hear this, they're like, wait a minute, these newcomers don't have to do what we had to do? And that's what they're, they're, they're bringing forward and the church leadership is considering. So uh, Peter, as they're considering these very big and sensitive uh, topics that we see there's much dispute about and passionate arguments on both sides, Peter rises up and spoke. And we're going to see that James does uh, shortly after, James, uh, after uh, Peter and then Paul and Barnabas do. So Peter starts and says a good while ago, about 10 years before this is what he's speaking of. And Peter goes on to say that God used him. Now we know that in Acts chapter 8, the gospel had had spread to the ethnic, ethnically mixed uh, Samaritans that were uh, uh, Jews, uh, you know, half Jew, half Gentile. Uh, and uh, they received Christ and were filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 8. And then we see the conversion of Paul in Acts chapter 9. But then in Acts chapter 10, the Lord ministered to Peter and uh, the, the, the people in Cornelius' house. Cornelius had a desire for salvation and the Lord spoke to Cornelius and the Lord spoke separately to Paul, both uh, separately uh, in, in, an own pri in their own private time with the Lord. God spoke to them and Cornelius was told to send men to Peter and Peter was saying, was told by the Lord when the sheet was brought down. You guys may remember, I don't mean to summarize and, and not include some of this, but we did just study it here a few weeks ago. But there's a sheet, and and uh, Peter is told to rise, kill, and eat. And Peter looks at it and he goes, not so, Lord. You know, all these animals that are there uh, that are unclean. Like, I've never eaten anything unclean. And, and there was the message there that says, what God has cleaned, you shouldn't be calling unclean. You know, and that happened three times. And, uh, and Peter's just trying to figure out everything that happened. The sheet had arose, arose up, and, and uh, he's trying to figure that all out, and the Spirit's telling him that, uh, that you need to go with these people that are coming to, to speak with you. And he goes to Cornelius' house, and he preaches the gospel to him. And what happens in the middle of his preaching, they, receive, they believe and they receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 13 and 14, God was powerfully using Paul and Barnabas in their uh, ministry. And the Gentiles plead. You guys remember this? It was just a couple weeks ago, right? They were pleading. They couldn't get enough of the word, right? They're like, can we have some more? It was the Gentiles that were desiring more. 
And so they were feeding them more. And as they're feeding them more, they're, they're, there rose up those that wanted to hear the word and uh, those that were rejecting it. And Paul had to reject those, those Jews and say, hey, I'm going to go to the Gentiles now. Right, And I know I'm summarizing all these things, but we, we need to move forward in what we're doing here. But Paul had to tell them at that point that he, he knows that he was going to move on and to minister to the Gentiles. So there's a lot going on here. So Peter's standing up and he's telling uh, everybody there what God is doing amongst the Gentiles. And uh, in, in verse 8, Peter was saying you know, that, that God knows the heart and he acknowledged them and gave them the Holy Spirit just like he did to us. That, that God didn't make, there was no difference. There's no partiality with God, right? So there was no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and Peter's pointing that out to them, that God acknowledged, what did he acknowledge? The faith that was in their heart. He knows their heart. 1 Samuel 16, verses 17, this, uh, sorry, verse 7, the, the second half of that, Samuel uh, was, was told by the Lord, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God knows our innermost being. And what Peter is saying here, God who knows the heart, he knows that they had genuine faith and that they came to salvation. And Peter's like, we can't wipe that away. How did these people receive salvation, receive the Holy Spirit without being circumcised? Peter's pointing that out to them. They were saved. And, and what I like is he, he says, uh, just as he did to us. He saved them just like he saved us. Yeah, that's a powerful thing coming from Peter. Peter was a pretty outspoken guy. And nobody's going to really stand up to Peter because he's you know, also known as a pretty rugged guy, right? So, so Peter stand up there. He's like, God saved him just like them, just like he saved us. And in verse 9, when he says there's no distinction between us and them, those Jews in the face, and he says purifying their hearts by faith, by faith. We are saved by grace, undeserved favor. We are saved by grace through faith, believing in Christ. That's what's, what, what Peter is telling them here. They believe the gospel and they were saved. They can't negate that. And in verse 10, he says, he's, he's asking them, you know, what are you doing trying to test God? You know, what, what, what's, what's going on here? You want to take these free Christians and now put a yoke on them. And a yoke, what he, I like here that he says, a yoke that neither our fathers nor we could bear. You want, you want to now tie them. They're free in Christ, and now you want to tie them into this. And uh, this is, guys, this is no doubt the Holy, Holy Spirit using Peter and speaking through him. And we'll see that because of the same message that comes from Paul and Barnabas and James that come afterward. People that were filled with the Holy Spirit not contradicting each other, right? Verse 11, but we believe that salvation comes by grace through Jesus Christ. We shall be saved just like them. Right. That's that's what he's saying in verse 11. This was a bold statement that we could be saved just like them. Right. I mean, think think of because uh, what we saw Jesus uh, doing with the religious leaders was often correcting them and letting them know they're way too big in their own eyes. Right. And it, it, what, what Peter's doing now is taking them down a notch. Right. So they might even be saying this in, in, in great pride. And what Peter's saying is we could be saved just like they are. You know, that's that's it, you know, versus hey, do they get to partake in what we are? Like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, we get to be saved just like they are, too. You know, let's let's uh, let's settle this down a little bit, guys. That everyone's uh, attention was grabbed at that point, especially those who trusted in the law. 
Verse 12, then all the multitudes kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many, how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So uh, Peter said what the Spirit had laid on his heart. The crowd was now silenced. And then Paul and Barnabas declared the miracles and wonders that God had done uh, through them amongst the Gentiles and notice that it's, it's to God's glory, not theirs. You know, any, anything, you know, God does in our lives, the gifts he gives us and how he uses us, the victory over sin, the victory from, uh, and freedom from addiction. It's all for God. When God works in our lives, it's so that he would be glorified, right? Sometimes we get to the point where we forget that, right? And we're like, Oh, God's blessed me in this way, or God's blessed me in that way. And we forget that the reason he does that is for him to be glorified, for us to use that to point to him. Because we can kind of get to a point where we forget that, right? And we start taking credit for whatever it is that, that, that God has done mightily in our lives. It's all about Christ. All their, their, their whole, remember when, when Paul and Barnabas, when, when that paralytic was healed, they were sharing Jesus Christ with him. And when everybody is, is ready to worship him, they're like, no, 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 no. We're men just like you guys. Keeping everything in the proper perspective, not accepting any type of credit or glory or worship. That's very important for us to remember who it gets the glory for what he does in our lives. Because sometimes we can get to the point where we get a little confident, right? Once we get a little confident, then, uh, you know, hey, it is, it is all about me. Every single thing is about Jesus Christ and what he does in our lives, any victories we have, the restoration. I heard Will, or I was listening to a teaching uh, this uh, past week, week and a half, and um, uh, just bless his, as if you're unfamiliar, our, uh, the former pastor that was here, he and his family served here for 20 years. The Lord used them to establish this church, and they moved to Kentucky, and uh, now they're down there. But I was so blessed by him. Uh, sharing something. He goes, if you're ever having a pride problem, remember you in your worst state. And I was like, I'm stealing that. <laughs> I gave him credit, right? You know, the, the Holy Spirit poured out on him uh, and poured that in his heart and in his mind. So, but God reminds us, remember us in our worst state, right? We don't like to remember us in our worst state, but if we need humble pie, just feed it to ourselves, remembering the worst thing we've ever done that God has forgiven us from. Should we drag it around around with us and let that torment us? Absolutely not. But if we start thinking we're anything anything special, just hearken back in your mind like, oh, that's where I was saved from. Okay, now I'll move forward in humility, right? Verse 13, and after they had become silent, so, so there was great uh, dispute and dissension. Peter talked and, uh, and, every, and everybody remained quiet, let Paul... And Barnabas talk and everybody's still remaining quiet. So when they stopped talking is what we're looking at here. When they became silent, James answered saying, now James is known as uh, the, uh, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon, he's using the uh, interesting that he's using Simon's Jewish name, has declared how God at at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. So, so there's a discussion. There are a lot of 
opinions that were being brought in before, right? And then they come to Jerusalem. The Jerusalem council is happening. Peter starts talking about how God was using him. And when James stands up, he uses the word of God to settle the dispute, right? This is, this is an amazing, just watching God take care of all this. Verse 16 says, after this, and he's, he's quoting uh, the book of Amos, uh, verses 11 and 12. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. He's settling the dispute with the word of God right there, saying, hey, even back in Amos, it says that the Gentiles were going to come to faith. Verse 19, therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So we see James standing up here, the brother of Jesus, also the writer of the book of James, the other James, <clears throat> excuse me, was martyred back in Acts chapter 12, as we studied here just uh, a few weeks ago. So Peter and James uh, leading the church uh, at Jerusalem. Peter preached uh, about how God had used uh, him to uh, preach to the Gentiles and take them, uh, take out of them a people for his name and uh, that they're no longer slaves to sin and that they belong to Jesus now. And then James uh, stands up and he quotes Amos uh, chapter uh, 9 verses 11 and 12 where it says, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. You know that notice there that it says that they stay the Gentiles. It doesn't say that the Gentiles and then they become Jews and then they can be saved back in Amos. It says even all the Gentiles. They stay Gentiles. They don't become Jews according to Amos chapter 9. So verse 18, uh, when you look at that, it goes along with what's being said in verse uh, verse 17 where it says, known to God uh, from eternity are all his works. So what we're witnessing here and what we're reading here is the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul, through Barnabas, through Peter and James here to set the record straight. You know, And what we're seeing happening here is we should not trouble the Gentiles who are turning to God. So they're finally turning to God and we want to make things complicated, right? That's what's being addressed, right? And God, through the Holy Spirit, uh, God the Holy Spirit, I should say, uh, is speaking through these four men that have been used mightily by the Lord and put in their leadership positions by the Lord. And this is all being resolved in front of our eyes as we're reading by the Holy Spirit. You know, these people were hearing the, the gospel and they're turning to God. And the question is, why would we burden them? Unfortunately, there are many who still want to do that today. They want to clarify what it is to be saved. We've talked about that before, right? Oh, so you were saved. Did you speak in tongues? Did you do this? Did you do that? There's all kinds of these things. And somebody's joyful and they're coming up and like, I just started a relationship with God. And they're like, hey, let me just take this sword and chop you off at the knees. Right? How, how wicked is that to do to somebody? Right? 
And, and so when these guys came over here and Paul uh, to, came to Antioch and Paul and Barnabas hear this, they're standing in opposition to him saying, what are you doing? This isn't right. Okay, well, if you're not going to listen to us, we're going to go get this and we're going to take this to the church leadership in Jerusalem. But there are many who add what they think uh, applies in the scriptures, trying to earn salvation, and they'll burden others with it. You know, because for for many, it's it's too much to look at and go, wait a minute, saved by grace through faith. That's too easy. There's got to be more. I have to do more. I grew up Catholic, and what what I was taught in Catholicism was I'm going to be saved by the good things I do. As long as those good things outweigh the bad things, then I'm going to be good to go. Right. At least I may not go to hell, but I might go to purgatory and just wait there for who knows how long. Right. Maybe somebody can buy or pray me out. Right. Thankfully, that's not the way it is. You know that we are saved by grace, undeserved favor through faith, believing in what we don't see. But remember the 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 um, encouragement that that the scriptures say that that even though you haven't seen Jesus, you still believe in it. You know, blessed are you that you believe in one you didn't see. I think that was Peter that wrote that, but correct me if I'm wrong or something. What? John? John 20. Thanks. Thank you. So who you don't, who, whom you haven't seen, you still believe. Blessed are you. You know, that's a, that is, uh, we are saved by grace through faith. And I, I think most of us here, the, the, the familiar faces that I know uh, here and, and, uh, and, and even visitors, if you're visiting here uh, on vacation, you're here, your relationship with the Lord, you take it very seriously. I understand that. So we are saved by grace. There's nothing that we need to add to Jesus for salvation. We don't need to be like, okay, I've got Jesus and I've got my good works uh, in my pocket here, and uh, no, it's by grace through faith are we saved. So uh, they said, what they're saying here is we shouldn't trouble the Gentiles that, that are turning to God. We we can't do that. So uh, what they were wanting to do was add the Mosaic Law to them. Now the Mosaic Law was was profound, and you can find that reading through. Uh, you know, if you read through Exodus chapter twenty, verse forty, you're going to learn a lot about it. You're going to learn a lot about it through the book of Leviticus. You learn that the law revealed the holy character of God. Leviticus nineteen and twenty, that uh, that He set apart the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter nineteen. He revealed the sin, the law reveals the sinfulness of man. And if you want to kind of summarize that, go read Galatians 3 and, and Romans 3. Uh, the law is good and, and holy. If you're reading Romans 7, you'll see that, but it didn't provide salvation. You know, Through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And we're going to read that, uh, a, a couple verses here in just a moment. We understand that nobody can keep the law, but we fall short of God's standard. You know, then we uh, trust in God's mercy. You know, Christ came to fulfill the law and paid for the breaking, our breaking of the law. Galatians 3 verses 22 through 25 say, But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. 
The law was to bring us to faith in Christ. That's what Paul is saying here when he was writing to the church in Galatia. So what is being presented to us in the scriptures, we have a choice to trust ourselves and our abilities or to trust Christ, you know, to try to keep the law perfectly. Now, James, who just spoke, said in his own epistle, uh, James chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at one point, he is guilty of all. So if the goal is to get to heaven based on our own works, based on our ability to keep things and, and to work our way into heaven, if we miss one, we've missed them all. Or we can trust in Christ for our salvation, understanding we can't keep the law. Romans 10, chapter, four, uh, chapter 10, verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We stand in righteousness because of our relationship with Christ, not because of what we've done. So James continued that they should write to the Gentile believers to adhere to four things. You're not under the Mosaic law, but don't antagonize your Jewish neighbors. So what we're going to see here is the things that he talks about here are going to be sensitive topics that the Gentile church is, are probably, when they walk into the market, they see a ribeye there. They're not asking where it came from, right? Was this sacrificed to Zeus or whatever? They're just going in, they're buying the ribeye, throwing it on the grill and eating it, right? So, so here comes some godly advice from him. He tells them to abstain from things polluted by idols, things strangled, and from blood. Now, the Greco-Roman society, it would be common for, for meat from an animal sacrifice to be uh, in the marketplace. And the Jews would have nothing to do with that meat. But to, So what we saw was dissension happening, right? Because what it says, there was dissension and dispute. There, a bunch of things were, were building up. And uh, the people that are saying, hey, you've got to keep the Mosaic Law, and Paul and Barnabas are standing up saying, no, you don't, that, that there, was, there was beginning to, be, to uh, build this division that's happening here. And James, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is speaking and giving them instruction that's going to bring unity to them. Hey, don't go around flaunting things. You know, when he goes into saying these things, he's addressing these things. Their eating habits were different than those of the Jews. Titus chapter 1 verse 15 says, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. To the pure all things are pure. These people didn't see anything wrong with going to the market and getting their steak or whatever they needed to. So what James is trying to do is give them careful instruction. Don't go around offending the Jews around you. Try to keep the unity, right? What is the what is what does the scripture teach us? Keeping the unity of the spirit by the bond of, through the bond of peace, right? That there would be unity in the church. So although they're not under the Mosaic law, you're under the law of love. So they they had to respect them. So uh, this wasn't the burden to the new believers, but to help keep peace and, and uh, not uh, have contention in the church. So what he's not doing is giving them dietary restrictions, right? That's what they're saying is we're not going to burden you with those things. But if you want to respect each other, you want to uh, keep unity in those things, because we it had just been established, they do not have to keep the Jewish law. They don't have to do that. They don't have to keep the Mosaic law. They uh, this is this is for uh, unity of, of what's happening here. And, and Paul goes on, and we'll see here uh, when we get there. But uh, there there isn't a uh, a, um, a diet that's being prescribed here. But Paul said in in First Corinthians eight, Paul goes into great depths 
to ensure that we're not causing another one to stumble. Remember, in that chapter, Paul said that it would be better never to eat meat again than to cause believers to stumble against their conscience. That's what he's describing there. So when you when you put this together here, there's there's a hey yes you don't need to partake in idolatrous ways, but you also don't need to produce uh, don't need to provoke your uh, your Jewish neighbors. You don't need to go there and flaunt these things to them. And he tells them uh, to abstain from sexual immorality. That that definitely applies to everybody. But it would also apply in Leviticus chapter 18 where it's said that no sexual relationship should be held between close relatives. You know, the Jewish, uh, the Jewish believers understood that. Uh, you know, heathens may not have or, or Gentiles may not have. Uh, so uh, what's being described here is, hey, uh, don't, don't partake in these things. The Bible has a lot to say about sexual purity. Uh, and uh, if, if you read through in sexual immorality, if you read through from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see the call to sexual purity. It's all through the scripture, literally from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's scattered all through the scriptures. You know, God's plan for sexual intimacy is to be exclusively between one husband and one wife. And I have to say it like that specific, right? One husband, one wife. Not polygamous, not all of that stuff, right? I mean, look at our culture. Okay, so I'll get into I won't go off on my rabbit trail. I'm going to stick to what the Lord gave me. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 and 19 says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. There was a lot of correction for Corinth coming from Paul. And it, when he was speaking of sexual immorality, he didn't hold back. You know, look at our culture. You can't even keep up with all the names for all the sexual appetites for men and women. We can't. I had to look up what a pansexual was today because I didn't know what it was. You know, I mean, I've heard it and everything, and I'm like, well, what? What is that? You know, I've got you've got the you know all the other things here. Our society is so obsessed with sex across the uh, in in the whole world, not just in, in the United States, but that act that was supposed to be designed and kept between one man, one woman, has been so perverted. So broken that we don't even know what to call people anymore. The sad thing is, is that we would be foolish to think this doesn't exist within the church. That the church doesn't need to repent. It's, it's, it's horrifying, guys, what's happening here. Is there forgiveness in Christ if we've fallen, if, we've, if we have sinned against God sexually? Absolutely. You know, you keep reading in 1 Corinthians 6, and that whole list of people that won't inherit the kingdom of God, it says, of such were some of you, but you were washed and clean and cleaned from that. You were, you were saved from that, is what Paul was saying. All these people won't get into heaven. If you were one of those, and now you stand in Christ, that's gone. There is forgiveness for those things. But when the, the Bible's speaking from Genesis to Revelation on something, it's kind of important. And when they're being told, hey, don't have anything to do with all these idolatrous practices and don't you know, flaunt your freedom to eat certain things in front of these people, don't get involved with sexual immorality. 
Don't get involved in those things. Keep yourself from those things, from idolatry, sexual immorality. Very important things that are being addressed here. Now, all four of these things were included in ceremonious, uh, ceremonial laws listed in Leviticus 17 and 18. So uh, they're all, uh, as I said, all these things are mentioned to keep a unity of, uh, of, of uh, the, the church at Antioch. And, and we'll see here that the letter even goes uh, beyond Antioch. But it's further driving home that they don't have to act in a way, uh, in uh, uh, being surrounded by Jews in their community, uh, that uh, they would be offending them, you know, because it says there in verse 21 that Moses is still preached uh, every Sabbath and everything. So don't go around and and cause uh, cause problems, offending them and destroying your witness for Christ. Verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders uh, with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely uh, Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So what we see here is after uh, Peter had taught, uh, Paul, Barnabas, and James, after they had all given the address, moved by the Holy Spirit speaking, no doubt, uh, they have resolution and uh, from the Holy Spirit to bring that's uh, in that resolution brought great joy and peace to their lives. Uh, and what we're as we're going to see as we uh, read through here. So if you look at verse 22, it says, then it pleased the apostles and elders. It pleased them. There, there was all chaos and and uh, people arguing and everything. And then the Holy Spirit settled it. And in the, the midst of the leadership, there is now there's resolution that pleased them. God handles the hard things that we uh, we can't, and uh, you know, not that we can't be involved. And God doesn't uh, build us in in helping us to grow uh, through those things, but He takes care of of the battle for us. But so, what started as dissension and disputes was resolved by God, and the elders are now pleased, and they are sending out a group uh, to Antioch to clarify. Uh, now, First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse thirty three says, "God is not the author of confusion." Uh, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Paul was speaking about proper order in the church, but it still applies that God is not the author of, of confusion, that God resolved. Now, all the confusion, all the, the division that was happening, the disputing that was happening was taken care of by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit put it on the hearts of Paul, Barnabas, Peter, and James. He gave them all the same mind, the same word, and the guidance was clear from God. Verse 23 says uh, they wrote this letter uh, by them the apostles the elders and the brethren to the brethren who are of the gentiles in antioch syria and cilicia greetings since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls saying you must be circumcised to keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you, our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by the word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit 
and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Now, if you look at the letter in, in verse 24, it's addressing that some went out from them, that troubled them with the words, and that unsettled their souls. So their, their souls were rejoicing, and then these guys came and unsettled them and just brought this, this burden upon them. But I like how it says at the end of verse 24, to whom we gave no such commandment. That wasn't from us, guys, is, is really what's being said in the letter. That didn't come from us. And we don't want to burden you. This letter would have left them at a point where they're no longer unsettled. And we didn't give that commandment. This is extra biblical doctrine that has plagued uh, them and it's plagued the church. You know, all through, you can look all the way back 2,000 years and just see what extra biblical things have done because of uh, people uh, not having a proper perspective and not having uh, good, strong biblical doctrine and uh, or, or confusing things or wanting to add things to it. There's a reminder here for us to ask questions, to seek the scriptures, pray to God for answers to our questions. Can people lead us astray? Absolutely. We need to know the scriptures. Search them deeply and, and know them. And we're going to get into that here in uh, just a few weeks also. In the weeks to come, I should say. So they told them that they were sending servants of God who were, as we see in verse 26, were dead serious about their relationship with God and their service to him. Said that they, uh, that they risked their lives for the name uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, they were very clear that the Holy Spirit was the one to resolve the issue. They, that When they're ending this, in verse 28 it says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit first. Seemed good to God. So that's the authority they're standing on in writing this letter. There's no more burden to lay upon them that they can rest in Christ. Jesus plus you know anything is unbiblical. We talked about that. But they can live their lives in the simplicity of trusting Christ for salvation and following him. That's what they're, they're getting at. Like you don't have to follow these religious laws. You don't have to. They're no, no longer burdened by those. And then they remind, they're telling them, if you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Keep yourselves from offending one another. Keep unity in the church. Keep yourself from sin and those things that are going to destroy you and your relationships. We'll end here with the, this small section, 30 through 35. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. Can you imagine everybody standing around? They're like, here's the answer. We've been waiting for this. right? So now they have the answer, and everybody who's been, their hearts are unsettled. That means sleepless nights. That means like unrest in your, in your soul. We've been in those, those situations in our lives, right? Ever been there where you're just like, I just can't relax? I don't know. I mean, man, that was so literally unsettling for them. They were settled, and now they're unsettled by this extra-biblical doctrine that was there. So everybody's now gathered together, and they deliver the letter. When Verse 31, when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. They rejoiced over the encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. 
And after they had stayed there for a, a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. So this letter gets delivered. Everybody's gathering around, and when they hear the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, when that's all, like, they, they find out, wait a minute, we don't have to follow all these things, so there's no extra burden. We can just trust Christ and, and, and have faith in him and trust in, in his grace. They rejoiced over its encouragement rather than being burdened. That's what, guys, we're, we, you're not going to rejoice when we're burdened, right? When there's something that comes on us and we're like, I don't even know what to do with this, right? Because it's, it, this is something extra biblical that's a weight on them. They weren't rejoicing in that. They're going, wait a minute, I thought I had freedom in Christ and now I don't. I don't know where my life is now. And then they get this encouragement and they're rejoicing. The Holy Spirit saw to it that they left this whole thing, right where it was when this was being read, and we're now encouraged. He's so awesome. From being unsettled to be, being exhorted and being strengthened. It says that Judas and Silas stayed. These are faithful ministers. They stayed there with Paul and Barnabas. And it says two things about them, that they strengthened them and exhorted them. The, the Greek word is paraklesis. That uh, for exhorted and, and to call to one's side, to summon or encourage, admonish or entreat, to call somebody, come alongside me. That's a fantastic way to do ministry right there. Not to speak down to somebody, but come right here, put your arm around them and go, you know, I'm an older brother or sister in the Lord. I'm going to, uh, you know, let's, let's sit here and talk. Let's Bible study. Let's pray together. Let's, all these things that these guys called them, just come up right here with me and let's let's discuss these things. What a just an awesome, awesome example. And Silas, we see, stayed back, and Paul and Barnabas stayed teaching and preaching. They devoted themselves to the spiritual growth and health to the church at Antioch. Just going to share a few verses with you. I had a whole pages. I'm just going to share a few verses to put this whole thing of do we need to be under the law or under grace to bed. So if you're looking for some things and you're having discussions. Because uh, sometimes I'll, people will say, hey, I was having this discussion with somebody at work, and they're, they're, they're telling me this, 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 and this, and I've got to do this, and I'm, you know, I've got to go to church on Saturdays, or I'm, uh, or I'm not saved. Right? That is very prevalent uh, amongst the Seventh-day Adventists. Right? So when, if you're having that type of discussion, you can use some of these verses. Romans, and I'll, just, I'll read them out to you. Romans chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says, uh, this is Paul writing. Does the blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or while uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. The, that, that faith was accounted to him before circumcision. And there was a whole different discussion there, but the summary of it was is that that Abraham, that faith was accounted to him be, because of him uh, believing in Christ while he was uncircumcised, right? So that there's there's uh, one to put in your pocket. Galatians chapter two, uh, two, verses 20 and 21. Paul, again, writing, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. I'm going to read that 21 one more time. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. I got a few more for you, and then I promise we're done. Galatians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6 says, and I, this is Paul writing again. All of these are Paul writing. I'll just say that. Paul writing, he says, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor uh, to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. So uh, the, the, the Galatians were being drawn back into, hey, you need to, you need to keep the Mosaic law. And Paul was, he even calls them all foolish Galatians. Who's bewitched you? And so he's addressing this. He's like, if you go back and do this, what he's saying here is if, if you go back and do that, you're estranged from Christ. It says in verse four, you who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. He's, he's putting this, he, just, uh, he hit it in Romans. He hit it in the church in, in Galatia. And he also says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. The last verses I have for you are from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. There is no, no need for anybody to try to add anything to Jesus Christ. We are saved, as Ephesians 2 says, saved by grace through faith and not of works, lest anybody should boast. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. By grace, God's undeserved favor through faith, believing in him. If we, if we believe in Christ and we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth Christ, the grace of God, we're saved and the grace of God saves us from our sin, the penalty of our sin. It's that simple. We're either saved by grace or we're not. Freedom from our soul for our souls is in Christ alone, not our works. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for something like the Jerusalem Council that's set in order for any of us that are, are Gentiles, believers, non-Jews, that we have freedom in Christ, that there's nothing we need to learn and go back and try to Fulfill on our own strength that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Lord, I'm so blessed that this passage shows us that your Holy Spirit resolved this matter. You moved and called everybody to gather together, and as they were gathered, you gave the resolution to the church leaders. 
who were able to take that back to that church in Antioch and share that there were no burdens to be laid on them. Oh God, you take us from unsettling to rejoicing. Lord, help us to trust in you, to know you, to know your word, and stand on it. Gives us everything we need, and we are grateful for it. In Jesus' name we pray to you. Please bless us and protect us as we leave this place today. And keep us until we're together again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all. Have a great day.